Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Back to another episode of Adding Context. Today I'm speaking to Jessica Kale. Please introduce yourself and what you do. Oh, hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Jess Kale, and I am the editor of Dirty Sexy History, uh, which is a kind of a popular history blog. I'm also uh, I'm a historian. I'm a historical romance writer, and uh, sometimes I give ghost tours. So uh, a little bit of everything. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Where, where do you typically do your ghost tours at? Oh, it's uh, it's for one of my friends' company. Um, it's uh, it's based in North Carolina. It's kind of like a history and ghost thing. It's it's fun. I get to wear a Victorian dress and wander around and talk about murder. So you know, I enjoy it. <laughs> so your your background is uh, ancient medieval history and creative writing. Writing. What is your favorite era history, and what it what is so appealing to you about it? Okay, um, that's kind of a tricky question, actually. Of course, uh, now, my, my first degree, as you mentioned, um, I did a double major in ancient and medieval history. Um, I, I always loved medieval history. I really wanted to study that. So, um, you know, I moved over to the UK, and my, my focus, of course, was on castles and things like that, you know. Um, so, you know, I always enjoyed that. But then kind of after I finished that first degree, I really got into later periods. Um, I love the early modern period, uh, the Georgian period. Um, of course, you know, kind of the golden age of piracy and all that stuff. But I mean, honestly, there isn't really a place or time that I'm not interested in. You know, I, I think all of it, there's there's some value to all of it. Got it. Europe, where the history comes from. Um, you've also authored a number of books. From what I understand, yes. the, the, the Victorian era is your, your primary setting. Um, it's actually um, the restoration period. Period. Uh, my my first uh, sort of series of books, the Southwark Saga, is set in um, uh, well between uh, 1671 and about 1675. So this is uh, the, the Restoration in London. It's right after uh, you know the plague and the Great Fire, as London is kind of uh, trying to rebuild from the ground up in places. You know, uh, Charles II is the king, and uh, everybody's just going absolutely mental after the Civil War. <laughs> so. Of course, you know, that was uh, about a 20-year period of people not having a lot of fun uh, to uh, <laughs> to be a bit generous about it. Uh, and then, of course, after that, you know, the theaters opened again and everybody went completely wild for a few years. So, uh, of course, that was a period that I was really drawn to. Uh, my Southwark Saga books are set then, uh, but I do have a number of Regency and Victorian books as well. Uh, those are the fiction ones, yeah. Got it. You, like myself, have your hand in a number of different pots. You've got a, yes. your, your books that you write. You're, you're the editor of a, of a, you have a podcast and a website for uh, Dirty Sexy History. And I found you on The Lost Pirate Kingdom, which is one of the things that I want to talk about because I've always been fascinated with pirates. Just the, the mentality, the, the, the word I'm looking for, the romance of all it all. Uh, what kind of attracted you towards I guess studying a little more deeply into the golden age of piracy um well as I kind of go into in a dirty sexy history with some of the people we like to focus on I'm particularly drawn to people who misbehave <laughs> so uh really anybody who is uh, kind of breaking the rules or trying to you know kind of make a life for themselves outside of what society expects for them um I think that's just wonderful you know and it doesn't always go uh 
particularly well, uh, especially for some of these pirates, of course. Uh, but honestly, the fact they tried, you got to respect that. <laughs> so um, I, uh, I sort of got involved with the series uh, through my research on Anne Bonny. Um, who, of course, is a very interesting figure, uh, one of the uh, the kind of leading female pirates of the era, um, and uh, and that was that was really kind of how I got into it. Um, of course, I mean everybody's always interested in pirates. I mean, who didn't see like Pirates of the Caribbean when you were a kid, you know? And <laughs> oh, it was just fantastic. Um, but as as you say, you know, there was a lot of romance to it, and a lot of these stories are uh, there's a good bit of love legend to all of them, uh, which I think uh, definitely appeals because all these characters come across as kind of large than life uh, and of course because there aren't a lot of great sources for them um, there is there is a deal of mystery still kind of surrounding them I think uh, so that that mystery I think draws people and you know people like to wonder how much truth to these tall tales was there you know yeah that that's kind of where I wanted to kind of dive into with a little bit about some of the the myths that I've come across and, and things that you know we as you know normal non-researched folk have uh kind of come to learn from movies and TV shows about the, the R matey and everybody's got a you know, the skull and crossbones and a peg leg and a, an eye patch. Of course. <laughs> um, what are some of the myths that you really dove into that, that kind of debunked, I guess, I guess some of your favorite ones? Well, I mean, probably the most obvious one and the one that everybody's going to kind of hear about and I think we talked about this on the show a bit as well, was, uh, you know, the, the sort of legend of Blackbeard versus who he actually was, you know? So, of course, at the time, you know, like him kind of presenting himself as this, you know, like really kind of fierce, really scary guy. I mean, it was it was all really, it was a clever strategy. Because, you know, if somebody's terrified of you, you know, they're going to kind of give up without a fight, you know? Um, and it's smart. So, of course, we know actually that, you know, like he was very pragmatic, he was very educated, and he kind of created this like persona for himself, you know, um, which made a lot of sense. Because of course, if if he tried to do all this stuff as like some random like merchant son from Bristol, people would be like, "Who the hell are you?" You know. <laughs> so I mean, it, it made a lot of sense for him to do it. You know, try to you know present himself as you know being really kind of fierce and really kind of scary and unhinged with the matches in his beard and all that stuff, you know? Um, <laughs> so of, of course we know that he's actually a very clever guy. Uh, right. So I, I think that that one is particularly interesting. I, I thought that that was one of the points that kind of was peppered through the series, through the six episodes was that most of the, the more successful pirates were not the, I guess, typical uneducated, stupid brute grooms, uh, goons. They were, quite intelligent, former captains, you know, very well-educated people that just, as you said, were trying to make the best of their situation. Yes, absolutely. Um, the one thing that I was surprised is their sense of equality and fairness, I guess, their, mm -hmm. their, their code of ethics was, you know, in TV and movies, we kind of see them as being these, these ruthless, you know, act impulsively type of people, but... It, it doesn't seem that's the way things were. They, they had a, a specific code and it wasn't really the, the captain wasn't necessarily in charge of the ship per se. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's correct. Um, now with that, I think what's most telling is you have to look at kind of where they were coming from and what made them want to do that. 
So a lot of these people, um, they would have defected from the Royal Navy. So um, the more you get into kind of the, the naval history of Britain, I mean, this stuff is incredibly brutal. This was a very, very bad situation for people to be in. Um, and of course, there is a very rigid hierarchy. And, you know, you could be beaten basically to death for really minor, you know, kind of things that you did wrong. Uh, so kind of coming out of that, they don't want to recreate that somewhere else. Like the idea, if, if they wanted to be that kind of mean to underlings or whatever, I mean, like they could have stayed in the Navy and worked their way up, you know what I mean? So like they didn't like the way that it worked, obviously. Um, it was it was a terrible situation, and most of them didn't even enter it willingly. Of course, some people joined the Navy because they wanted to, but, you know, a lot of people were press-ganged into it, or they were sentenced to naval service for various crimes. Really? Um, so there, there were a few different ways to get into it, but it was not a situation that anybody thought was a great idea. So, of course, you know, when you're on the ship as well, I mean, like, you're lucky to survive. Right. So when when people did get the chance to, to defect, you know, of course, a lot of them did. So they're going to be coming at it from, well, it, as long as we're talking about kind of like mainly British pirates, I can't necessarily speak for all of the backgrounds that people would have been coming from. Um, but, you know, Britain at this time, it has a very, very rigid social structure. You know, the 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 classes are, are separate. They're extremely unequal. And uh, a lot of people, you know, coming from some of these lower classes, they would have been able to achieve a kind of social mobility on these ships that they never would have been able to dream of at home. Um, of course, uh, Blackbeard, right? You know, he <laughs> came from kind of a wealthy merchant family. So, you know, he was a little bit different, but not all of them did. Um, but, you know, just because somebody's lower class or somebody came from a poor background doesn't mean that they're not intelligent. It doesn't mean that they don't want more and they're not willing to work their way up. So, you know, kind of coming from that, it wasn't really in anybody's interest to divide the ships up kind of by class, you right. know, because sometimes the, the smartest guy isn't necessarily, you know, I mean, he didn't go to Eton, did he? <laughs> so, um, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but like also like the kind of people who aren't going to be able to kind of think for themselves, they're probably not the kind of people who are going to become pirates. Right. You know, I mean, circumstances might give them that opportunity and they might jump on it. But these are not, you know, kind of, as you say, kind of like goons who are sort of, you know, just following orders or whatever. That is that is not the situation we're talking about. You know, I, I think to to want to defect and to want to become one of these people, you know, you've you've really got to have that you've got to have that kind of spirit. You've got to have the intelligence to do it. You have to have that, you know, desire to to try something new, you right. know, and that it takes a lot of guts, particularly in that day and age. Um, not only because, you know, of course the penalties for piracy were, I mean <laughs> absolutely horrible but i mean back in britain too you know even if if you had stolen something i think it was worth i want to say it was worth a shilling it wasn't very much but you could be hanged for like really really minor offenses right. so you might as well be a pirate at the end of the day you know um so you know exciting. a pickpocket and a pirate will be executed in the same way right um so like why not but anyway as as we're saying you know it, it doesn't really suit them to have that kind of rigid class structure or to of insist on on that kind of hierarchy within the ships you know it i mean you're opening yourself up to mutiny there you know it's not a good idea you're gonna piss people off right. no one's gonna want to join you but like if it's this kind of like you know more or less equal kind of brotherhood you know i mean like people are gonna go yeah that sounds like a great idea i want to get some money for myself right there's also seems to be at least with the captains that they uh, went over in in the show they were very compassionate and charismatic. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what appealed, not all of them, but most of them, that's what appealed. I think some of the, the people to join their, their crews was because they realized, 
know, they could join this ship and not be treated like a piece of shit. Yes. Um, one of the big myths that we always hear is buried treasure. Was that a, a common thing or is that a, just more of a made up Swiss family Robinson kind of. Now that I can't say for sure. Um, because with a lot of it, if it's out there, they still haven't found it, (laughs) you know, like a lot of the sort of caches of treasure and things that they find, like they tend to be with shipwrecks. So, you know, like you'll find them like at the bottom of the sea, you'll find things like, uh, when they found the queen Anne's revenge, they found all that kind of stuff on board. Um, but like, they're still finding, you know, like Spanish galleons and things with like unbelievable quantities of gold, you know, like like on the ocean floor. So like, that's really the kind of thing they're looking for. Um, if you do get, lucky and find some buried treasure i think that's wonderful uh now i i haven't heard of that happening very often uh i think it's much more common to kind of go out with your metal detector and you know find a you know a piece of celtic silver or whatever and over in the uk like that seems to happen pretty often but you know as far as i've heard i don't think that happens in you know like florida or the caribbean uh, all that often so i I can't really say about that but i'll reserve judgment (laughs) being um one of the things that actually kind of drew me to wanting to get my scuba diving certification is in Jersey, we have a number of wrecks kind of not too far off the coast. And I've, I've always wanted to kind of get into that position. Unfortunately, I never had the chance, but that was uh, one of my motivating factors to try and find some of these wrecks and see what you can find. But after finding oh, that's out, a great idea. <laughs> after reading that the, um, uh, what was it? The, the Witta off of Cape Cod was found in 85 and it was, really it wasn't too deep of water it was only like 15 to 30 feet of water in some spots but it was oh only my gosh. Like feet worth of sand so i mean if they're not they're not they're kind of shallow but then they're also really buried so not mm-hmm. really having the ability to to do that one so that'd be really really tricky yeah shipwrecks are so interesting you know um obviously like there's some bigger ones where you get something like the, the titanic there's just so much to go through right um there's a really famous shipwreck um not too far from where i'm from the edmund fitzgerald up in lake superior now that one it is so deep that it took them, I believe it took them years to even find it. Right. Now, there's not any treasure on it. It's just like iron ore pellets. So it's uh, it's not particularly glamorous. Um, but it was a terrible, terrible shipwreck. And, like, they can't they can't recover a lot of it. It's just hundreds and hundreds of feet deep. Uh, Lake Superior is so much deeper than anybody knows. It's right. just crazy. Mis- uh, misunderstanding of how deep that, that actually is. Um, yeah. I, I didn't, when I was trying to do some research on, on some of the more favorite, famous pirates, I did not realize that Sir Francis Drake, who I learned to be one of the more famous explorers, actually resorted to piracy for a short bit of time. Oh, yes. <laughs> Is it Was it common for a lot of the, for just ship captains in general to kind of, when the instant, or the I guess the ideal situation came up for them to just kind of be pirates temporarily, or... Well, there's a there's kind of a fine line about like kind of how do you how do you define a pirate, right? Fair enough. You know, I mean, like uh, <laughs> for some of these people, it's just like, oh well, I was just being a good a good captain. And then you know, of course, there's uh, well earlier on there's there's that difference between being like a pirate or being like a privateer, um, which honestly there isn't a whole heck of a lot of difference. But uh, it all kind of comes down to definitions. So right. of course. You know, he's he's a hero as long as he's, like, kind of in, in royal favor. But then when he's not, ooh, he resorted to piracy, and that's no good. So it, it really, it just kind of depends on the day, you know? Would it be safe to say that the difference between pirates and privateers is who sponsors you? <laughs> I think that's fair, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that's fair. <laughs> What's, uh, what are some of your favorite depictions of pirates? Favorite depictions of the pirates? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, I love Black Sails. I did i loved the whole series i thought it was wonderful fantastic costumes um 
Captain Flint was amazing. And then the the twist at the end, um, I'm not going to blow it for people, but I cried. It was wonderful. I thought everybody was just just fantastic. Um, I, I thought they did a really, really good job on that. Um, I loved Anne Bonnie in that. I thought that was very good and probably uh, pretty faithful to her character. Um, I did also love, of course, of course, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. You know, they came out when I was in high school. I thought they were awesome. Um, gosh, what else? <laughs> I mean, like, obviously Captain Hook. You know? <laughs> I think that might, Captain Hook might be the first person most of us were introduced to the idea of what a pirate was. You'd think of it, yeah. And uh, of course, I was thinking of Peter Pan and everything. But um, now, here's here's a song, and I don't know um, how much your listeners are into, you know, your kind of uh, different music or whatever. But uh, John Cale, who is one of my favorite ever musicians, and we're not related in spite of the name, uh, same <laughs> last name, not related. Um, he did this incredible song um, called Captain Hook, and it's on his Sabotage album that came out in the '80s, and um, it's very long and it's epic and just beautiful and I love it. And that, that is one of my favorite depictions of a pirate, but it's a song. <laughs> so everybody should definitely listen to that. Cause it's, it's wonderful. I think it's on YouTube. The, the record is really difficult to find. Um, but I, I think it's on YouTube. I'm definitely going to have to, to find that. It, it's funny that you bring up music. A friend of mine was a drummer in a band. It was a very hardcore kind of metal band, but they were called swashbuckle. And their big thing was they dressed like pirates. Um, I love it. Oh my gosh. Um, they, they played some pretty big places. They did a, a little bit of touring. Um, but it was that, that was their, their trope, so to speak. I mean, one of the videos, I think they made two videos for some of their songs and they were literally pirates on this little dinky ship and things like that. It was, it, it was comical and, and That's fun. <laughs> That's so funny. I love it. Um, I'm a drummer too. I can't do metal drumming. That's, that's really, really intense. Um, I'm, I'm kind of more of a blues girl, but, uh, but yeah, I, I also drum. So I, I really appreciate that. I hope he didn't have to do it with a peg leg or anything. Uh, I think that might've made it harder, but he's, yeah, a little bit as far as I know, he still has two feet. So, <laughs> oh, that's good. So he didn't, he didn't try to do it with like a prosthetic. <laughs> no, nah, not that I'm aware of it, although I don't put anything past him. So he, he might've, <laughs> um, as far as pirates and you know what they did with their bounties when they, when they took over ships, what is their position on slaves and slavery? Um, that is really going to depend um, on the pirate, unfortunately. Of course, at this time, um, you know the the slave trade was uh, was a terrible, very tragic reality uh, that a lot of people would have had to deal with. Like wherever they would have fallen on that kind of issue, whether they were uh, personally in favor of abolition, which a lot of people were, you know, like not everybody just accepted it. Um, if if they were in favor of it, or if if they were not, um, I mean that is really just going to come down to the person, their background, their personality. Um, now, I mean, with with a lot of them, we don't know for absolute certain how they would have dealt with these things as they as they came across them. Um, although, I mean, we do know in some cases that um, that they would give enslaved people um, the the option to join them if they wanted to, um, and that certainly happened. Um, so, you know, there there was kind of more equality in terms of race as well. I mean, I think that they just kind of wanted um, anybody who was who was willing to help them out, and you know, of course, they're you know willing to return to them their freedom in order to, to do that. And I think that's terrific. I, I mean, I hope, I really hope that, um, that a lot of them were more, you know, kind of in favor of abolition and things and, and wanting to take over those ships and do the right thing. Um, although, I mean, we don't necessarily have enough records to, you know, 
kind of come down one way or the other. I think one of the names that came up and was pointed out in the in the show that you were in was uh, Black Caesar. Is that his name? Yeah. Oh, uh, it might Black have been. Caesar, um, uh, with, I think he was the lieutenant for Blackbeard. Um, oh, yeah. And he was a pretty prolific pirate in his own right before mm-hmm. becoming part of the crew for, for Blackbeard. So I, I think that kind of adds to they didn't look at people beyond what use they could be to their their pirates, to the piracy or to the crew. They, if they saw that they had a an asset or, or something that would contribute, they'd bring them aboard. If not, you know, go swim to shore yeah. if you can make it. <laughs> and that's and that's fair. And um and another thing that I think is really interesting and, and not to um not to go too far off the subject because I think that's very important. Um what else is interesting is how many pirates were gay. Um, so, you know, it, it wasn't, uh, like people like to think that, you know, like maybe it would be like this kind of a very toxic masculine kind of atmosphere where, you know, everybody's kind of got to be a, like a white dude in this really specific way, but that just wasn't it. As you say, it's like, you know, um, are you useful? You know, are you a hard worker? Can we trust you? You know? So of course women are involved, you know, people of, of all races are involved. Uh, people of all kinds of sexual persuasions are involved, you know, and that's awesome. So it, you know, that is it's different, of course, from um, the, the way that, like, a lot of the kind of society was at the time. Um, you know, people kind of back in Britain, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how much you know about, um, like, the kind of gay history of the period. But um, basically, it was, it was like, illegal to be, to be a gay man. Um, although, how they, how they punished it really kind of Determined in practice... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it depends on who you were. Like, a lot of people, like, they're going to kind of turn a blind eye, you know. And also, I mean, sexuality wasn't really looked at as in, like, you know, like, you are gay, you are straight, you are bisexual. It's more like this kind of, it's kind of a spectrum, and it's more about what you do rather than who you are. So it doesn't matter, like, what your own, you know, personal feelings are. It's more like, okay, but did you do this with this person? So, you know, for, you know, for the aristocracy and for, you know, kind of like rich people, I mean, they can do what they want with whoever they want. Nobody cares. Nothing's going to happen. You know, I mean, kings have done it. It's fine. Um, But for for other people, one of the common punishments, if they were convicted, basically, of being gay, um, was to join the Royal Navy and to be kind of confined with all of these other men who are there for the same reason at sea. That might be some right. punishment. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, oh, we're going to punish no, you by putting you terrible. on a, into the kind of people that you would like to be with and associate with. So that's going to be your punishment. Yeah. yeah for, for like, <laughs> like months at a time with right. no women, you know, like, oh God. Um, but of course that happened a lot actually. So, you know, of course, uh, you know, a lot of the people, a good percentage of the people who are going to defect and going to become pirates, you know, they're there for that reason. Um, but it was fine, you know, and there, there were, such a, a huge percentage, and th- this is not something that we got to go into the show too much, but before the golden age of piracy, we're talking about, I believe it was kind of like the 1670s, 1680s. Apparently, there were so many pirates, like so many male pirates in relationships with each other around kind of Tortuga that um, now I believe he was the French governor. I wish I could remember his name. He actually brought over a shipment of like, Parisian prostitutes, right, to try to distract the men from having relationships with each other. Um, but it didn't work because they were gay, right. you know, like they, they liked each other, you know. 
so um, with some of these relationships, like sometimes like they would take on a woman as like a kind of like fun polyamorous kind of thing, but like they didn't just kind of go like, oh, wow, there's women. We're just going to marry the women now, you know, because that's not how sexuality works. Um, right. So <laughs> I think it's very interesting, of course, that, um, you know, kind of pirate culture in general is very accepting of this. And, you know, is it accepting, you know, of, of having uh, people of all different sexualities, people of different genders, people of different races. Um, and it was a lot more kind of egalitarian than it was, you know, kind of back in England. Right. That was one of the things that I read is that they were more what we would deem today as progressive. Um, yes. You know, because of the, the acceptance of homosexuality, the some of the uh, relationships and, and marriages, so to speak, were between, you know, a, a captain or a high-ranking person on the ship and, and a young juvenile male. And it was not just a, a marriage between two people, but it was a... I'm going to teach you how to do this job so when you get older you can you know what you're doing kind of thing. So there was there was a lot of different moving parts to that, but the fact that they were socially progressive was I, I think that spoke to the different breed of people that they were, which is awesome to know that they were completely accepting of that. Yeah. Women were not typically pirates where there were there were some notable few exceptions, you know, um Anne Bonnie being one of them. Uh, Mary Reed, but from my reading, the most prolific pirate period, male or female, was the Chinese pirate queen. Um, I'm going to butcher her name because I've saw it in a couple different ways. Um, Ching Sha or Sal, I think it was. Yes, I know exactly who you're talking about, and um, and I will I will completely destroy the pronunciation as well. But um, she is fantastic. Now, um, she was a number of years later, um, so that's why they didn't include her in the show. Um, but yeah, she's an absolutely fantastic uh, figure, you know, and as you say, so prolific, you know, and and progressive. Um, so I, I do hope that if they make a, a more series of the show, I hope that they also focus on her. Um, she's definitely somebody that we want to talk about on Dirty Sexy History in the future. I would love to see a biopic of her because I mean, she she literally went from It'd be being incredible. What in some social circles, you know, the lowest form being a prostitute to being mm-hmm. literally the queen of the sea. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. Which was yeah, and particularly brutal, you know. Yeah. Um, now, I, I believe that I've heard that, like, she wouldn't go for, like, any kind of rape. So if it happened on her ship, it would, she'd basically put the guy to death, you know. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, you got to respect that. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, but, no, she's you know, just absolutely fantastic, so fascinating. And um, she, had, she had a very long, very successful career. And I believe the government ended up in her in the end, didn't they? They, they couldn't beat her, so they tried to get her to work for them. They've, they paid her off a few times. There, and I've noticed that, too, in, in some of the, the research I was doing. Is There's a number of times where pirates were literally paid by other governments. You know, the War of 1812, um, one of the pirates was paid 30,000 pounds or whatever it was to help the British take over the, the uh of new orleans but and the only reason why i looked into this particular part is uh, it's apparently an ancestor of a friend of mine oh. uh, his, his name is uh again i'm gonna butcher it uh gene lafitte lafitte I, I, my pronunciation sucks so i apologize but um he was apparently he, he tried or the british government tried to buy him and coerce him to helping them out in the war of 1812 and he took their money and then spilled the beans to the americans and didn't go so well for the British. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the th- things were never black and white, you know. Um, I think the government was always kind of aware of who they were and what they were doing. You know, it wasn't always like, okay, well, they're the bad guys and we're the good guys. Um, but, you know, likewise, the pirates aren't going to feel like that either, you know. I mean, you, you do have some people who are um, essentially kind of 
opportunists. Right. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, but also, I think there was a lot of sympathy for, you know, that kind of early kind of American mentality. You know, like you can come from any class, you can be anybody and you can make something of yourself. You can have what you want here. You know, like you don't have to be, you know, a, a working class, whatever and whopping, you know, like you can you can move to America and you can be whoever you want to be. And I mean, a lot of a lot of the pirates were, you know, they really kind of embodied that. Um, so, of course, when it comes to like the War of 1812, I mean, you got to kind of wonder where those loyalties lie, you right. know. Like well, I mean, I don't know if he's if he's going to particularly like the British, actually. Right. Well, he was he was a French-born um, pirate, or at least a privateer for a while. And during the Napoleonic Wars, when right. France is fighting Britain, we're like, okay, yeah, we think it's this great idea to pay off this French guy because right. they love us right now. Right. You know. <laughs> Again, it's just you know trying to leverage whatever opportunity they could to, to I guess that they thought would help them win the war, but clearly for did sure. not work out well for them. Um, a, a quick random side note. Growing up, Goonies was one of my favorite movies. It took place in Oregon. What is the possibility that they would have found the forgotten pirate ship in a cave in Oregon? In Oregon? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say anything is impossible. Uh, my first question would be, like, how far inland was it? <laughs> You've never seen Goonies? Oh. Recently you've seen Goonies. I actually have never seen Goonies. Uh, now I'm uh, I'm familiar with it, of course, uh, but I mean, it, you think about like how long it would have taken to sail to Oregon, and like how you'd have had to go, you know, quite far south to get there. Um, I'm gonna say probably not super likely, uh, unless of course they came from uh, kind of the West Coast. I mean, I suppose anybody can be a pirate. <laughs> Maybe it was one of uh, the the pirate queens fleet that made it out to maybe it was yeah you know maybe it came from asia and that's that's great too you know uh back to the more serious side of things um what (laughs) do you think was the the more marked decline or the end of the golden age of piracy was it okay blackbeard um, dying and and sam bellamy and like kind of the things that were covered in the lost pirate kingdom yeah yeah um I mean, things, you know, things were going, uh, from their perspective, I mean, things were going quite well for a while. But, yeah, I mean, with that kind of crackdown, when they were able, you know, to kind of get that that kind of great generation of pirates, you know, when, when Blackbeard died and they got the others, um, I mean, that was, that was kind of it. Because after that, you know, it became increasingly difficult um, to do it, to get away with it. You know, they had this, uh, this kind of republic, you know, like they really had, like they were, they were setting up like, this this incredible kind of like safe place for themselves this kind of place where they could kind of thrive and then um i mean that was really taken away from them so when when you don't have that anymore you know like when you don't those places where you can be like okay well this is the other side we can take our things here we can live here when you suddenly become um uh well for lack of a better word kind of homeless you know you kind of have to roam a little bit you know you're going to be um the the, or you're not going to be as organized you're going to be going all over the world you know and you know it's going to be a lot it's getting a lot more difficult to get away with things. Um, so that, that kind of golden age of piracy, I mean, that really kind of ended right there around 1715. Um, and, that, and that was Woods yeah. uh, Rogers. He kind of claimed to be the That's right. the one who ran the pirates out of the Bahamas. So I was wondering if that yeah, was more. Yeah. So, I mean, like if you, if you put it on anybody, I mean, it, it really kind of came down to him ultimately. I was wondering if it was just, if it was really him and, and his, his tactics or if it was just the timing and of the other factors as well. But, 
like you pointed out, they, they kind of had were thriving in, in the Bahamas before he jumped in. Yeah, they, they really were. And um, I mean, he knew what he was doing um, a lot more than other people. Uh, he wasn't as willing to uh, kind of compromise or kind of pay people off, as you were saying, you know, um, more hands on for sure. But then, of course, you know, he, he wouldn't have been successful if uh, if the other kind of conditions weren't right as well. So, I mean, it, it's always going to be kind of a number of factors. Got it. What are the other more, any other fascinating myths or, or facts about pirates that you came across in your research and studying? Well, I guess what I think is interesting is that it's uh, it's not entirely clear um, what's a myth and what isn't. <laughs> You Fair know, um, of course, a lot of people think that Anne Bonnie's basically a myth, you know, because we, we have so uh, few kind of like records on her apart from, you know, when when she was in prison, kind of awaiting execution. Um, nobody knows for sure what happened to her. And I guess one one myth that I think is really interesting, it's a, it's a fun thing to speculate on anyway. Um, and, you know, I mean, whether it's a myth or not is kind of up for debate. But a lot of people think that um, after she she basically disappeared, you know, before she was due to be executed, um, there, there was a rumor that persists to this day that like basically she returned to Charleston and got married and had like nine kids and then had like a really normal life. Um, and I mean like that's, (laughs) huh? I can't imagine her living a quote unquote normal life after, you know, the the way she portrayed this. She's very alpha female. Yeah. Like, (laughs) like I can't, I can't really imagine her doing that either. You know, she has this kind of adventure of a lifetime, you know, and, um, I mean, gosh, like how do you, (laughs) How do you like, like (laughs) go from like Jack Rackham to like some random farmer, you know, like, like, you know, (laughs) no shade to farmers or whatever, but I mean, like she had this like incredible life and all these adventures and she had seen things that people could never even imagine, you know, and she could do anything. She was like the, the ultimate, as you say, the alpha female, you know, she was self-sufficient. She could do anything she wanted. Um, and she looked great in pants, you know, I mean, like, I don't, I don't think she's going to do it, you know, like, I, I like to believe that, you know, she went off and, and made a different life for herself somewhere else. Right. So maybe she was another famous pirate that we don't even know about yet, you know, um, I don't know, but I, I think that that's a really interesting myth. Um, I don't, I mean, there's, there's nothing to it. I don't think that there's necessarily any proof of that. Um, I think it's a nice idea, especially for people around here kind of wanting to be like, oh, well, my great, great grandma was Anne Bonnie, you know, right. what I mean, like, yeah, okay, cool. That'd be nice. Um, <laughs> but I just, I just don't know if I buy it. Fair enough. Where can people, we're going to dive a little more into your website. Can you go into to what Dirty Sexy History is about and, and what you kind of topics you cover there? Oh, yeah, totally. Well, um, Dirty Sexy History is, um, it's a popular history blog. And when I say popular history i mean um it it isn't necessarily like you know kind of your your standard kind of academic articles you know we try to talk about things that we think that people will find interesting but also things that are overlooked so you know we like to focus on um things that in the past people have thought that they're um kind of too rude or risque to talk about so uh it's it's the kind of thing that you know you're you're going to want to tell your coworkers about or you're going to bring up at Thanksgiving to like traumatize your grandma you know like that kind of thing. <laughs> so uh you know it's a lot of sex and history, um a lot of venereal disease, contraception, um I mean murders, murder tourism, um I'm really into poisons in history, poisonous cosmetics, especially the kind of thing that used to be really common. And now we know that it's very dangerous. Um, Anything like that, you know, um, things that kind of make you kind of make you rethink things. But the thing that uh, that comes out more and more, I guess, is we like to draw parallels a lot with 
what is going on now to what has happened in the past. Because I think people like to think of the past as uh, this really kind of remote, almost like imaginary island where everything was so different. Right. You know, but of course, like the, the more you research it and the more you kind of get to know, you know, kind of people you think about psychology and the, the kind of choices that people are making, the more you understand, like nothing has changed. You know, I mean, we have Wi-Fi now, but like people are the same. Right. You know what I mean? So we like to kind of make those, you know, kind of draw those parallels. You know, uh, extraordinary people did exist. You know, uh, Anne Bonnie wasn't the only woman who was kind of misbehaving, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, these, these people were, were doing all these interesting things. You know, uh, contraception has always existed. People um, have always had sex for fun. And, um, people have always worn makeup, you know, tattoos were cool in the 1890s. I mean, like all kinds of right. stuff like that, you know? So it's these things that, that make you kind of go like, what? <laughs> but, but it's, it's trying to show that we have more in common with the past than you would think. Well, I think history has definitely shown that there's always been a group of people that wanted to control and influence how people live their lives according to their own thought process and, and yes. philosophies and, there's always been people to, to rebel. There's always been people to innovate. There's always been people to just kind of go against the grain for the sake of going against the grain. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think I, I like what you guys are doing on that, on your blog. It's, and you have a podcast to, to accompany that. Is that just kind of do little deep dives into specific components? Yeah. Now, um, um, the podcast um, is due to start um, hopefully at the end of this week. Uh, we're, we're going through some... Uh, hiccups with the editing at the moment but it is due to start um uh it's it's called the same thing it's called dirty sexy history you know it's available on all the kind of podcast channels um at the moment we just have um just the trailer of me talking about what it's about but it's um it's a companion podcast to the blog so we're gonna be talking about the same kind of subjects in a slightly different way um it won't be as uh interview based um I love podcasts that are, I love stuff like this. I, you know, and hearing people talk to each other um, for the type of blog that it is and the way that we kind of cover things, um, it's going to be broken up into more, uh, more like segments. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of be talking about the subject of the week, but then um, we're going to have some other segments as well. You know, every once in a while there will be an interview, um, but then uh, we're, we're going to be doing the stuff kind of like riffing on the news and, you know, kind of drawing more kind of parallels between the present and the past and things like that. So um, it should be a lot like the blog, um, only more so. <laughs> so I hope it comes off really. Well, I can definitely speak to what it is to have some growing pains with editing and things like that and trying to get the, get your show up, but I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much. Where can people find and follow you and, and your books and, and everything else? Oh, sure. Um, the easiest way to find me um, is through the website, DirtySexyHistory.com. Um, the blog there, it has a lot of about information. It has contact information. Um, and it has links to all my social media as well. Um, the blog, of course, has its own um, Instagram and Twitter, at DirtySexyHistory. Um, fortunately nobody else had used it. So we, we kind of got in there on all of the different <laughs> platforms, uh, which is good. And then, uh, I'm also on Instagram myself at kale is a four letter word, um, for, you know, lots of, uh, kind of plant pictures and, you know, baking bread and all that kind of good stuff. Um, that, that's the easiest way to find me is, is through the blog, really. Um, all that stuff is on there, so you won't be able to miss it. That I, I can attest to that. That's how I was able to get in touch with you. And I, again, appreciate that. <laughs> Great. So now I'm going to kind of jump into a, a number of possibly ridiculous questions that feel Great. free to answer, pass, or 
or whatever. So the first, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the first question, what is the cleverest way you've asked for someone's number? Cleverest way. Okay. This is a group effort, but it's my idea. <laughs> okay. So, uh, back in high school, um, my, my two best friends were Kirsten and Jess. So one time we were driving back from Minneapolis. Uh, we went up there on, I don't know, some kind of crazy excursion. We were always doing weird things. And, um, we drove past this guy on, on highway 52. And, uh, my friend Kirsten thought he was really cute. And I don't know how they were even doing it, but they were like, basically they kept like the cars kept passing each other and they were like checking each other out and stuff. Um, so I, uh, a hand stick, my red lipstick. And I said, write your number backwards in the, in the window. Um, and she did. And, uh, he just about crashed his car, uh, <laughs> but he wrote it down. Uh, and then, uh, and then they did actually go out on a date afterwards, uh, which I thought was quite cool. But the best part of that story was by the time we got back home, um, <laughs> She was freaking out because she wasn't sure she's going to be able to get the lipstick off the off the window. She had a very nice car. It was it was like a really nice convertible. And she was like, my dad's going to kill me. So, of course, she takes the squeegee. Right. And she's trying to scrub it and she's freaking out. But the lipstick was on the side of the car and she was trying to clean the outside. I just about peed. It was so funny. (laughs) Anyway, it worked. That does actually work. Although uh, I would not recommend anybody else doing that uh, because you might crash your car. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> fair enough that's that's definitely a uh a clever way to to do that <laughs> let's see next question if you were arrested who's the first person you call uh my best friend jen um she's she's like macgyver she'd figure it out <laughs> she's the most capable person i know <laughs> got it what's what caused the worst bodily injury to you worst bodily injury mm-hmm. um gosh um i'm very fortunate that i haven't had very many um when i was a kid i was in a snowmobile accident with my dad um so so i grew up in minnesota a lot of snow you know uh and uh when i was a kid we went out on this uh, snowmobile ride at my uncle's farm and he had all these kind of new saplings up you know and they were all being kind of held up by like white string but like in the daytime with the snow and the white string it just basically disappears and you can't see it. So um, we went too close to one and it just about took my head off. So like if I had hit it at like a different angle, it probably would have killed me. But, um, but at the time I had this, uh, this huge gash across the top of my head and um, fortunately it healed pretty well. And now I just have this tiny little scar here and that's, that's all you can see. Uh, but, but most of it went away. Yeah. My mom wasn't too happy, obviously. I think my two that are kind of, I would say my worst. I, I fractured my collarbone in three places playing football in the backyard. That was oh, fun. No. And the other one was flying over my handlebars. And what made that even more interesting is it happened while I was passing my school just okay. as a bus went by. And apparently there were three teachers that were standing out front, saw the bus go by, saw me on bike, saw the bus go by, and then saw me on the ground. So they just thought that I got hit by the bus. And in the time it took me to get from front of my house uh, front of the school to my house covered in blood i had four cop cars and an ambulance looking for me oh my so god that was fun <laughs> wow. I've, I've recovered fine but i was just a, a bloody mess my brother insisted somebody beat the crap out of me and went on his little rampage trying to find out who beat my ass and i'm like uh the bike go go take it out on the bike it was just the bike and oh man <laughs> but that was a fun day i bet <laughs> 
bit of drama there. It's actually the, that was the first time I was in an ambulance and it actually ended up being one of the motivating factors to me joining my local squad and something I still do to this day, which almost 30 years now. Oh, that's amazing. So little, little things that kind of keep going throughout life. That's really cool. So who would you rather battle, Ursula or Maleficent if you were thrown into a Disney movie? Who would I rather battle? Mm-hmm. Probably Maleficent. Um, I feel like we'd be friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really into crows. Um, I have these uh, these two big crow tattoos on my back. I talk to them. Um, I'm pretty sure my neighbors think I'm a witch. Uh, <laughs> uh, but also with uh, with Ursula, I mean, um, I mean, octopuses are really smart uh, and. Like, I'm not great with really deep water. As much as I'm into pirates, like, deep water really kind of freaks me out. So I, I feel like I'd have a better chance with Maleficent. <laughs> I, I think I would rather go against Ursula just because I don't think she's as strong as Maleficent. No, probably not. Yeah, I just feel like um, she's probably strong in the ways in which I'm particularly weak. Um, so I, I don't think it would work out very well for me. <laughs> <laughs> and the last question. Would you rather find something valuable that you lost or fix something valuable that broke? I would rather find something valuable that I lost. Um, Now, this happened, like, I mean, almost 20 years ago, and I'm still upset. So uh, my grandpa was an antique dealer when he was alive. And uh, one of the things that he gave me, it was this little... um, it was like a little medal uh, from World War One. It was uh, uh, from the Red Cross. It, it said life-saving service on it. And it had like initials engraved on the back. They weren't even his. I don't know whose they were. But he gave me this. And it was like this, this beautiful little kind of pendant. And I wore it like a necklace. And um, I went, of course, I went to college uh, in UK. And one of my first weekends there, I went down to London for this major war protest. This is in 2004. You know, everybody's going to all these huge protests and all this stuff was going on. Um, I mean, there were probably a million people there. So, you know, of course, we're, we're walking like seven miles through London. And at the end of the day, I realized that my pendant is gone. Oh. So at some point in the day, like the chain broke, but it could be anywhere in London. You know, I mean, like a mudlark is probably going to find it in 200 years, you know, (laughs) uh, which is fine. You know, I don't I don't resent that. That's good. But but I wish I wish I still had it. I think I would rather fix something that had value just because it's I think it adds to its authenticity. Maybe. Oh, sure. That's a tough question. But I like your answer. I appreciate your answer. Um, I've stolen a good chunk of your time. I greatly appreciate that. And I look forward to your podcast. Well, thank you so very much. And thank you for having me. It's been fun. Thank you for being on. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.